we're gonna talk about finances tonight but just so you know i ain't bsing you i ain't pulling your, your leg or nothing i want my boy trey to introduce himself and what he's all about and um why he we're gonna talk about finances tonight so trey you know introduce yourself let the people know who you are what you do you know what you specialize in yes so my name is trey Hey, repeat that one more Basically time. Going officer, so you kind of went out. Repeat that one more time. For state state employees credit union, so I'm a loan officer. So mortgages, car 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 loans, things like that. That's what I do. Okay, and how long have you been with them now? Uh, about three three years. Yeah, three years. Three years. Where where? So where where you plan on taking that? You know, is that an industry you want to stay in the long run? You plan on like you know being your own branch manager one day or? Yes, definitely trying to be a branch manager. That's where the money at. So that's as I can put I'm gonna do. Okay, cool. So um, before we get started, I'm over here checking checking the audio right now. I, I gotta do this like every episode now because I'm just paranoid. I feel like I don't know if you know, but one episode me and Dom literally shot a whole episode. And the volume wasn't working like the whole time, sure. like, and that was like the Kobe. That was the Kobe tribute episode too. So I was so pissed, bro. Like, yeah, I don't even want to talk about it because we wasted a whole hour plus talking about right. stuff. Right. <laughs> it was a good episode too. That's the crazy part. But um, all right. So I don't hear anything right now, which is kind of weird. You want to verify on your phone? You want to pull this up on your phone and see if you can hear? yourself or me because i know that we should be good um everything looks good on the streaming software but just on my end i can't hear anything on my phone at least and if you in the comments if you um i know we got a few viewers so far but if you in the comments and you can hear us make sure you yeah, oh, yeah. Good. okay cool so, yeah i can hear myself now i don't know my, my phone was tripping but um as you can see from the description if you're watching we're gonna talk hold on for a minute mm -hmm. Yes, Grandma, what do you need? So for the people that's just joining, tonight I'm with uh, my boy Trey Newkirk. He's a loan officer with the State Employees Credit Union out here in Raleigh. And um, like I said, me and him go way back, you know, since college. I've known this guy for what, a good 10 years now, pretty much. And um, yeah, man, he's one of the more forward-thinking people I know. He's uh, all about investments, all about, you know, um, uplifting his community, you know and and just building and growth you know so we're gonna talk money we're gonna talk finances um strategies investment strategies you know ways to maneuver through these uncertain times etc so yeah yeah sure. so you, are you back yeah i'm back all right so you know and if you got any questions at all throughout this whole um particular episode make sure that you you know leave a comment in the chat wherever you are i got the uh the chat box up so I can see when people leave a comment or anything. Um, so yeah, for, so let's go ahead and get this kicked off, man. Um, first topic I wanted to talk about tonight would be credit and the credit cards. Um, so you know I know that you got a lot of a lot of experience with the uh, the credit realm and you know building your credit and strategies involved with that. So I'll kind of let you you know take the ball on uh, take the baton on this one. So you know. How, in in your opinion, um, I'm gonna just ask you a few questions, and I guess you can just, you know, um, 
bounce off of the questions I asked, and we'll just go from there. So to get started on the cre- the credit topic, you know, if I'm someone completely new to the credit game, I don't have any credit established, and I'm looking to get my first credit card or establish my credit and start building my credit, you know, what what steps or what tips would you, um, you know, recommend for, for people looking to uh, get started in that? I would definitely say you got to get a credit card. Uh, a lot of people would tell, would tell you that, you know, to get your credit up, you just need to pay your bills on time. But if you are just paying your rent and your light, light and your light bill and things like that, it doesn't really take a hit on your credit card. So a credit card is definitely like the way to go. I would get the max that you can get. So when I was like 21, I applied for a credit card. They gave me like $5,000. So, you know, they asked me that I want that. I said, hell yeah. So I got the highest one. Because to be honest, you know, you got to have 30%. Per- that's the max. So whatever you should get. So you got a credit card for $1,000. Then $300 is that max that you should ever go over. Ever. Right. But... What people don't know is seven to ten percent is what you really should stay at. So that'll if, be if, if you go over the, if you go over that twenty five or thirty uh, percent, let's just I'm, just I'm just trying to clarify if you go over that twenty five to thirty percent utilization across all your credit card balances, that's when your score starts going down. Is what you're yes. saying. But if you keep it under that, your score won't be hurt by the utilization. But if you keep it below seven to ten percent. I'm higher. It's, it's, it's going to jump higher than what it was. Okay. We're talking like 20, 20 points. Okay, but you want to make sure that you have at least some balances on your credit card. You don't want to just have 0% utilization, which means you're not using any of your credit cards at all. You want to use those credit cards at least a little bit throughout the course of the year, right? Right. And another thing is, like, people say that, you know, what they do is they do the 30 percent rule but when uh, when it's time to pay the bill they, they don't pay it off in full you know because they want to show that the credit bureau is having a balance you know what i mean right right so you want to keep that revolving balance i'm familiar with the concept you want to keep that revolving balance um throughout the year so it shows constant activity on the card even though you don't have a huge balance on the card you know like you said if you have a thousand dollar um, credit limit and you're using $300 out of that, that um, particular credit limit, which is what put you right at 30% utilization, it's best to pay that off, you know, for, let's say $50 this month or $100 that month. Um, and then let's say you're, you're spending, you're still spending 25 to $30 a month on the card just to keep that activity going as opposed to at once and then just not using the card the rest of the year, right? Yeah. I mean, in these days in the world, there's no need for a debit card. You don't get cash cash back. So literally, a credit card is the only thing that you should ever use for um, anything. Because you're going to spend money on food anyway. But, you're going to spend money on food anymore. You know what I mean? But now it is important to, to point out that if you plan on doing that, if you plan on you know using your credit cards exclusively for your spending or your bills um, to make sure that you keep that balance low like you were saying because after 30 days um, – no interest for the first 30 days, but after that, uh, if you got a And balance, that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. 
but we're paying off in full every month. So you, yeah, but I, I feel like you're contradicting what you just said. So you, I thought you were advising against paying it in full every month. No, um, I was about to say do it. A, a lot of people say don't, but me, I do it because I don't want no um, interest. I don't want to pay the bank any money. Okay, so you do advise paying off the whole balance every month. Uh, but well, in that yeah. case, you wouldn't recommend going over that 30% then definitely because you don't want to be stuck yeah, paying a big credit card every month. Yeah. Regardless, though, I still would never do 30% without I was paying, you know, without I was paying it off or not. Okay. Yeah. Like, my card never 30%. Well, there you go. Um, I mean, I agree with Trey here, you know. Uh, I, I definitely got a couple cards, you know, that are a bit over 30%. So I'm, I'm trying, you know, but most of my cards have no balance or, you know, very low balance. So um, from, it's not 30% per card now. It's 30% of your overall. Your whole credit. Yeah. Right. So right. if you got 30% for one credit card, that's fine. As long as it's not 30% over your com combined credit, it's cool. Well, well, I, I meet the criteria then. So I, I, won, I won the game today. So, um, all right. That's. One point for Sevo. So um, let's see if I can check off all the rest of these boxes, though. So I got my utilization below 30%. You hear the man. If you got credit cards, make sure you add up all your credit limits together. Um, so if you got one for $1,000 credit limit, and let's say another one with a $2,000 credit limit, another with another $2,000 credit limit, well, that means you got $5,000 in total, total available credit. Um, so if you were to utilize 30% or less of that $5,000 credit limit, that would equate to roughly $1,500. So you want to make sure that you have less than $1,500 in total revolving balances across all of those credit cards. So, um, yeah, like I said, trade, trade giving out the gems early. So y'all, y'all make sure y'all share this. Y'all make sure y'all like the video, subscribe. If you like what you're hearing or learning any new information, um, yeah, so now on to the actual, you know, when to use the credit card aspect of things. I know you mentioned that you like to use the credit cards for pretty much anything nowadays because of the cash back purposes um, involved. But did you want to expand on that or expound on that idea a little bit? Um, Like I said, you're going to, you know, you're going to need food. You're going to, you know go to the grocery store and things things like like that anyway. So those things that you're gonna spend anyway, why not save money by whatever you spend, you know, one point five, two percent, three percent of whatever you spend, it comes back to you. So in a way it's like saving money. Because if you use a debit card, you don't get any money back. Right. Now one so thing that I would credit card needs that you're gonna spend anyway. Not like, you know, spend your money on it's things that you already gonna buy yeah now one thing i would like to add to that um to that point you just made i don't know if most people realize this but um when you get a new credit card depending on who, who the card is through most of the times they have their um their own you know little rewards program associated with that cash back so you know let's say like discover for example they're a perfect example i my on my discover card their program changes every three months. So, um, you know, for January through um, March, they might give you 5% back on purchases or uh, Walmart purchases or Amazon.com purchases or something like that. And then, you know, April through June, 
that three month period, if you activate that perk, you might get um, 5% or 3% back on all gas purchases, you know, or purchases at the grocery store, you know. So things like that, those little programs, you want to make sure that you're um, staying in the loop and activating those uh, those perks if you, you have to activate them. For the most cards, you don't, but for the revolving ones like Discover or Amex, if they, the program switches every few months or so, usually you have to go into the website or the app and actually activate that, uh, that cash back offer and make sure that you know whatever card. So if your Discover card has perks or extra cash back for you know, um, convenience or gas purchases this month, you're using your Discover card when you, when you fill up the tank this month. And if your Amex card is giving you extra cash back at the grocery store, well, you'll use your Amex card at the grocery store. So right. it's good to keep those things in mind as well to maximize those cash back benefits. Right. Most definitely do that. So was there anything else in particular on that particular topic that you wanted to touch on? No, nah, I think you got it, you know. Day-to-day things, yeah, basically. Now... As far as saving, um, this is something that I'm interested in hearing as well from you because I know you're one of the better savers I, that I know, um, and you know it just comes natural to you at this point. So I really would really like to pick your brain and figure out, okay, what goes through your mind when you're saving money or what process do you follow? Um, because I know at this point it's just like second nature. You're just so disciplined when it comes to you know, stashing money away. Um, so, so, you know, just, yeah, just tell me a bit more about what your process is when it comes to saving money. So um, a lot of folks, when they get their check, you know, they, you know, they pay their bills, then they, you know, spend their money and then whatever's left before they get their next check, that's what they put in their save account. Right. Right. And a lot of times, shit come up, you see something. By the time it's two weeks later, you don't even have money to put in your account. Yeah, because you've been looking at that balance the whole time. Like, hey, I still got a couple hundred dollars left. I can spend I it. I still got it in my account. Yeah. When I get, when the money comes in my account, the first thing I do is I put into the safe account. So I pay myself first. A lot of people don't do that. You have to pay yourself first. Why are you working to pay somebody else shit? You pay yourself first. Now, it could be $100 a month. could be $200 a month. Whatever, pay yourself first. That's the first thing that I do. I pay myself first. So that makes your balance smaller. So you are knowing your head, okay, this is how much I got to play with. It's not as much as you thought because you already put, put that account away. And that account is locked. So you won't even go to that account unless you unless you dying, you know what I mean? Right. So that's how I think about it. I pay myself. I mean, the rest is like, you know, just being low maintenance. You don't need a lot of stuff. You know, I try to live below my means. You know, they say like forty percent of your salary should be saved. You know, that's. I know a lot of people ain't doing that, but. I would definitely, you know, 10, 20% try to start there and then work your way up. Now, that's exactly what I was going to ask you next to follow up. I was going to ask you, you know, um, just based off of what you've learned over the years, you know, I know your situation is probably a bit different. 
Um, but you know, just based off what you've learned over the years, for the average person, if they're just starting off, you know, following these recommendations you're making, what dollar amount or percentage of their income do you recommend they they save or start saving? I think it depends on how much they make. Now, I know people who are saving money but got credit card debt. Mm-hmm. But basically, you're still in a hole because if you're saving money, say you put it in a savings account that's one uh, per percent of your money, but you have a credit card bill and that's twenty one percent, you're not saving anything. Right. Right. But that money is for the credit card. So you so, recommend paying off your credit cards in full before you start saving? Because I mean, yeah. I, I kind of, I'm kind of conflicted here. You know, I, you, I yeah. know, I used to be a financial advisor, and for that little bit of time, I was. What we were taught was that, yeah, you want to get rid of your debt. Everybody should. So not and, debt, just credit card debt. Right, right. Well, in particular, credit card debt, because that, out of all the debt, that's usually the, the highest interest rates. That's usually what you need to get rid of first, right? With your credit card yeah. debt. So, knowing that, you also know, or most people know that they also need an emergency savings base. So, if you don't have three to six months of fixed expenses saved up, that's something that most people, or pretty much all people, should be working to to save as well, is three to six months of whatever their bills are. So, if you have someone that needs to build an emergency savings up, but also has a few thousand dollars of credit card debt, you know, what's the priority? Because what we were taught was that we need to save th- at least those three months up first and then start snowballing the debt, you know. Um, but it was kind of – it was taught that we need to save that three months up because if anything can happen at any moment and you want to make sure you have an emergency cash base for those unexpected, you know, expenses. Right. It's going to take you longer to save up three months paying that credit card than it is if you pay it off in full. You see what I'm saying? Hmm. So if you pay your credit card off right then and there, right, and then like two, three months, then you save, then you're better off if you're, you know, if you're saving little scraps here and still got that large credit card debt. That's my um, opinion. You know, Mark Cuban has said this, you know, just not me, but I think it's going to take you longer. I recommend you paying off the credit card debt first because it'll take you a short amount of time than if you're having stuff on the side, but you're still getting that 21% of that balance. See, that's the thing. Credit card is 21, 24%. Talking about the interest rate, the APR? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. For that's, most people, that's what most people have, especially when you don't have much credit or you know, not the best credit. Um, but one thing I will say is, to add to what you were saying, I don't think that you touched on this, but um, another thing, you know, I'd say it's hard for you to pay off your credit cards in full at the moment, and it's also hard for you to save at the moment, and you just feel like you don't have any options at all. Well, while you don't have as many options as you, you know, probably should or could have, you still have options, like balance transfers, for example. If you have a decent credit score, at least 600 or up, you know, um, or 650 and up, you know, you should be able, you should still be getting offers in the mail or online or whatever to for new credit cards. So you want to keep in mind, whenever you get a new offer, if they have a 0% APR period for like 12 months or the first 15 months, um, or a balance transfer offer with 0%, you 
you know, fees on balance transfers for a certain period. You can actually consolidate all your credit card debt into one card if you have a big enough credit limit with that card. And instead of paying three, four, five different credit card bills, you're only paying one credit card bill a month now. So that eliminates a lot of the extra expenses right there. And if it has a 0% APR grade period for 12 months or 15 months or whatever, that's, you know, you're guaranteed to not have any interest associated with the debt on that card for at least a year. And so you could take as much time to pay that debt off within that year period, knowing that you're not accruing any interest in the, in the time being. And so these are things that make sure that you can get yourself out of debt and have more money freed up to save and build that emergency cash um, up without increasing your debt meantime to the point where it nullifies all the progress you made. Um, did, did, did that make sense? Did I explain that good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And like, for people who are like, I'm struggling right now, who really don't have much savings, you know, this month is a critical month because it's just a few months where you're getting your tax check and you get the um, stimulus check. Right. So if you can both and you got two, three kids, you can you can get like six, seven thousand dollars. Right. That's off the bat. So now most you know, people that most people that got kids, just keep in mind, most people that got kids and already filed and got their taxes and spent you know spent most of that money at this point. So sure. you know um, now. But you might get with three from the um, stimulus. Yeah, that extra twelve hundred or well, you know, two thousand that they're 12. gonna get from the stimulus. You know, now that. That's a whole another ball game, though. That that money hasn't touched yet, and I'm hearing that money. And that's money that they didn't take out your check. That's money that you ain't think that you was gonna get. Right. So right. hopefully, if you need that for rent. Yeah, because a lot of people, a lot of people are, you know, um, falling behind on rent right now. Apparently, the you know, we're talking a thousand percent, two thousand percent increase in the number of people, you know, um, falling behind on rent. You know, just in the last few weeks due to this whole coronavirus situation and this recession that we're currently in right now so it's wild man it's a crazy time we're living in but that's why we're talking and having the conversations that we're having because we're trying to make sure that y'all don't fall into you know the same traps that people fell into 10 12 years ago when the last recession hit you know and make the same mistakes that we made you know um coming out of college and, and you know just just living life in general you know and this is another thing about credit cards and buying shit like, I see people, you know, they're getting, they're getting loans for like a couch and a TV and, you know, little things like that. Me, if you can't pay for those things in full, then you don't need to buy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the rule. Well, actually, my rule is 10, 10 times, but a lot of people. I thought know. it was three times. You can't buy it three times. <laughs> Um, I did ten just to Where, you know. just, just to make sure that you can really, really afford it, right? So if you getting the TVs, even on Black Friday, if you getting a TV, that shit like nine hundred dollars. If you can't pay, well, I'm gonna use you. If you can't do it three times, you don't need to do it. And if you buy a TV on Black Friday, I would hope you're not paying nine hundred dollars. <laughs> I would hope you're getting a two, three hundred dollar TV or something. If you then again, the sixteen inch, you know, you gotta go crazy. Hey, look, the four K TVs been dropped, man. I know I've seen four K fifty inch four K TVs for like two hundred dollars. This this black. I have See, I, I don't even go to the store out there. I ain't want to tell. Yeah, I see, I, but I got I got 
I mean, I feel like everybody got 50-inch TVs all around the crib nowadays. So I don't get tempted like I used to. You know, back then, when five years ago, when this stuff was new, it was like, dang, TV for that cheap? Like, now they're giving the TVs away nowadays. So, But things like that, you know, couches, furniture, they'll just put it on their credit card. And, and another yeah. thing, bro, I don't know if you know, this this new company, Affirm, they making it even worse, right? They really fucking the game up. Not only can you finance the stuff you could always finance, like the stuff you was just talking about. Nowadays, they got people financing clothes, you know, streetwear, people financing Jordans, people financing concert tickets. Um, yeah, yeah, this shit crazy. I, um, I was on a website the other day, and they gave the option for a firm, and it was like, you know, you could break this up. And, and I think I was trying to buy, I forgot what I was trying to buy. I was trying to buy something and flip it, like a Nintendo Switch or something. But anyway, the point I'm making is you can finance every damn thing nowadays because these companies are like really, they really out here. You know? And it's, it's scary, bro, because they got, they, they make it all nice and, you know, um, appealing, 0% APR and all of that. But it's like. In the back end. Yeah, like they, they just increasing the amount of bills you you know, you have on a monthly basis for what? Just so you can have, you know, an extra pair of Jordans? Like, I just said that because that's the same thing with Salos. When we call it at our branch, it's called a salary advance loan or a payday loan. If you have that, you can go ahead and cut that shit out right now. That's oh, so that's what, a, that's what a payday loan is, the Salos? That, that's exactly what it is. If you got that, cut it. Why, and why do you say that? I Because, I mean, I'm pretty sure... We we're on the same page, but just so the people that's listening can understand, why why would you say that? So basically, a payday loan is um, they'll give you an advance for five hundred or a thousand dollars. I know without with our credit union, you don't you don't get five, but some people do it more than that. You know whatever your check is. So basically, they give you advance for a thousand dollars, and then in two weeks when you get paid, you have to pay that back along with thirty three percent of interest. Oh, wait, 33%? I seen a high. I seen a high. At the credit union? They charging 33%? No, 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 not at the credit union. Oh, I was But I seen, we don't charge like 9%, which is unheard of. But, like, them check cash places? You know, I check, never knew that. The check, so the check cash places charge 33% interest after two They charge around that. It's around that. I'm not saying, because I've never been in there before, but I yeah. know. I heard from like some of my members, like, and that's only for the two week wait, right? Yes. So, so for the credit it's, union, it's nine percent for the two weeks. It's like nine point seven five on that. And so you said that that rate's actually good compared I to did, the industry. Actually, wait, it's thirteen point something. My bad. It's thirteen point. Yes. Okay. Halo at a check cash place is higher than a credit card. Wow, and it, and it, and the period, you know, the and total in your credit score. And everybody who going there got five five hundred, so that's gonna boost that up. It's gonna boost it up like that, yeah. What the check cash in place? Oh, oh, so getting a salary advance loan at a check cash in place boosts your credit score? No, it doesn't boost your credit score. But I'm saying, like folks who go there usually got five hundred credit score, six hundred, yeah, five, mostly five. So yeah. they're gonna boost your they're gonna boost your um, interest rate up because of that. Oh, okay. So they do they do check. Um, your credit when you get those uh, advances. Now, yeah, now they're going to give you one anyway because you know they want their that, money. <laughs> they're just going to get a higher interest rate. Care what your credit score is, but yeah, things is hot, man. Now, are those like a hard? Are those hard checks or soft checks? 
when they pull your credit? Uh, I'm not sure. I would think it'll be hard though. That's that's interesting, bro. So I mean, I'm assuming anybody can get those types of yeah, salary anybody. advance loans. Like even if you got a three fifty credit score, like they're still gonna give Man, listen. Um I have approved somebody, yeah. Like that. As long as they don't charge us a loss, then we're gonna give you that. For real. Wow. So, do you guys increase the interest rates based on the actual? Uh, we're a credit, credit union, so we don't we we don't do credit based scoring. Okay, and that's if what you, I was thinking. Or, or seven hundred, you still get the same rate. Okay, cool. So, if you hear that, if you are a credit union member and you need salary advance loans, we're not recommending this. Not financial advice, but we're not getting one. We're not getting one. <laughs> <laughs> not getting you know, if you need one, you know, go to the credit union before you go to the other guys. But we don't recommend that. That's not no. It's not in our. They spend their check, and then as soon as you get paid again, you got to give it back to them. It's like that's really. It's like a racket, bro. It's like crap. They doing the same thing the IRS do every year. (laughs) That's a trap. Robbers. I I hate those. Yeah, man. But you know, we can talk about that all night. But um, now saving for you know your children though. I know you you mentioned that you wanted to talk about this as well because neither one of us have. Or has any kids, as far as I know. Um, uh, okay. you know not oh, I, I, I thought you had one a couple of days ago. Oh, no, nah, that was April Fool's joke, bro. You saw it. You know, come on now. I didn't get the fine. <laughs> you didn't get the memo? I didn't get the memo. Well, yeah. Um, so, like I said, I don't know anything about saving for children. I know you can do like a 529 plan and start, you know, stashing away money for their college, you know, yeah. funds or whatever. But other than that, it's really very little. I know about saving for your children and their future. So could you, you know, you want to expand on that, what you know, what you recommend? So if you're a small business owner, you got your own um, LLC, then you could literally pay your child um, up to $12,000 a year in tax-free money. So that means you can write 12000 off on your business saying that you're paying your child to work, minor labor, you know, and that's $12,000 that you not going to show up on your taxes so you don't have to pay that and it's uh tax you know you, you don't have to pay taxes on it so you just give them twelve thousand dollars a year which you know it's going to be a joint account so basically you put in twelve thousand dollars and you and your daughter's account or you and your son's account and you know you can use that for whatever but supposedly you know that's saving too you know okay. what i mean yeah definitely and um so what type of businesses is are eligible to do you know this type of thing? Is it any small business where you yeah. know you can have your kids LLC. help you out? I think if you got your um LLC, you know, so for proprietorships and stuff like that, then you will yeah. be able to do. It. Okay, so you don't have to have either or. You don't have to have a LLC in particular or a sole proprietorship in particular to do that. Yeah, no, nah, it doesn't matter what type of business as long as you got your own. Okay, cool. File, you know, filing, not no side shit. Right, right. Now, what about 529 plans? Do you have any experience with those or any knowledge on those? Yeah, So, the, but see, the 529 plan, it's the best school plan out there because there's some schools, there's some plans that have, say you have to go to college, mm. you know. Right. With a 529, it actually, you can, you can use that to um, spend on, like, you know, I mean, type of um, um, educational things. So, say, say you know, um, your kid 
does not want to go to college. They want to go to trading school or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you could use that to pay for the child's, you know, way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and that's only for certain 529 plans we said, right? All of them are eligible for that, right? Yeah, I know um, ours is, but, you know, it just, I think it de- depends on who you get it with. Okay. Because, yeah, that was something that um I was also privy to when, like I said, I was in the finance industry, that 529 plans, all of them aren't built the same. You know, some of them are specifically for college, like you said, while some yeah. of them are more lenient, you know, you can use them for. Which I don't recommend because what if your kid don't go to college? Right. Then all that money paid up is they got to be taxed. And you can also use that money for like private schools and charter schools and stuff like that as well, right? Yeah. At least. Okay. Definitely. Cool. Now, um, so 529 plans and, um, you know, having your kid work for you if you own your own business, were there anything else or were any other things um, in particular that you wanted to add to saving for your kids? Um, yeah. On um, any trading platform, there should be a, what's it called? It's called a, it's like a beneficiary on account where you can trade for your kid. And like paper trading? Well, it's like a uh, um, account where you basically trade in your kid's name. Hmm. But are those real trades or are those like paper trades? Well, they're, they're real trades. So you buy stock now in their name. So they're two years old. You set up an account for them that, uh, you know, you're buying stock in their name. And then when they get older, it'll just be become theirs. So you just like a manager of the account. You see what I'm saying? Oh, okay. Yeah, so you're just managing the account. And then, you know, when um they get older, then they'll just take they'll just t- take it over. So that's basically it. Yeah, that's cool, man. You're gonna have to give me more info on that. You got you got a website or a resource on that? Um I trade through Fidelity. Yeah. So I think I can get you some stuff on that. Yeah, um, I don't do any trading through Fidelity. I know I used to have my 401k through them, and I couldn't do any trading because of the way my old job had it set up. So oh, when, I, when I left, I actually transferred. I um, I did a rollover to yes. uh, an, another account with my actual financial planner, and um, so now I got an IRA instead of a 401k. But I don't do any trading with that money. That money is just in the market, and you know we got fund managers that actually do all the trading for that particular fund yep. that I'm in. So I'm in an aggressive fund with that. So yeah, my, my portfolio really took a hit over the last month or so. No, I'm saying your fees. We all took a hit. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. What you mean? The fees? I got charged fees when I first bought into the, the fund, but I have you're, you should get it every quarter. If somebody is managing your account. Oh yeah. Yeah. They do charge me a little fee every quarter. But I'm talking. I'm thinking about the big fee. Like they charged me a few grand when I first, you know, bought into the fund. What? Yeah, I had to pay like at least two, three grand, at least, just to buy into the fund. Why'd you do that? I mean, they took it out of my money. It was like I didn't pay it. It was like they just took it out of my, you know, my 401k. But yeah, to buy into that particular fund, and that's why I was like, I called my planner like a few weeks ago, and I was like, hey, look, the market crashing and shit. I might need to um. You know, I might need to switch from aggressive to conservative, you know, buying to another fund. He was like, but you listen to any? 
fucking thing I told you when you were here? <laughs> like, like, it was basically like, look, if I do that, first of all, it's gonna be, it's gonna classify as churn because, like, he was saying that I can't just be buying in new funds every few months, or every year. So then the, the fucking um, they're gonna audit him, and you know they're gonna look at him and be like, okay, why is he, you know, switching around funds every year? And right. because not only does that, like I said, count as churn legally, but it also means that every time he buys into a new fund, he has to sell my shares out of the current fund by my way into yeah. a new fund. And that is where the fees come in. So that's why, you know, I got to pay two, three grand every time I, you know, switch like that. And so it really nullifies any gains I'm going to make in the short term. It wipes those gains away because I'm, I'm paying a few grand just to switch my allocations over, you know? Right. But, um, but yeah, so... And it, oh, one, one more question about the 529 savings plans. Do you know what the limits are on those? Like uh, the yearly annual limits that you can throw into a 529 plan? Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know for most, but for us, I think it depends if you're married. Word. Let me check. It says, I just looked it up. It says, uh, 14,000. I don't know how true this is. Yeah, it says your yearly contribution limits are the same as your individual retirement account. So the well, limits are set. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm saying it says the limits are set by the states and can be as high as 380,000. But to avoid gift tax consequences, federal law allows single taxpayers to contribute up to 1000 in one year or make a lump sum contribu- contribution of 70000 to cover five years. Married couples may contribute as much as 28000 per year or 140000 You get double, so yeah, that sounds about right. All right, cool. Well, um, is there anything else you wanted to touch on as far as, you know, the children saving for the kids or anything like that, or did you want to just move on to the next topic? Yeah, we can move, move on. All right, so next up was investments. Um what to invest in, you know, so where should I put my money or anybody, any average retail investor that's trying to get into the market, especially during times like this, where we're in the middle of the start of a recession, you know, who knows, we may be on our way to the next depression, the way shit's looking right now, 6.6 million jobless claims last week, another 6.6 million this week, so literally 16 or almost 17 million people have filed for unemployment in the last three weeks. So it's obvious that the economy is, like, you know, falling through the cl- off a cliff right now. And uh, people is all out of work, you know, no no telling when most people are going back to work. No telling when anything's going to start back up worldwide. You know, we got all of the sports leagues canceled and everything else in between. So a lot of people are really feeling like there's no way – to put your money up, at least on the investment side of things, and get a good return because everything's just falling off a cliff right now. Now, I know that's not true, but most people don't. So explain what recommendations you would have for the average person that's trying to get into investments at this particular moment in time. So I think, you know, you should um, invest in what you know. So, you know... If you into tech, and we know tech is not going anywhere, 
it's going to get stronger than invest in that. For the average person, you know, who doesn't know anything, I would suggest investing in the, the um, S&P 500, which basically to dumb it down, it's an um, all-star team. So it's the top 500 companies of the United States. So that's LeBron, Curry, Kevin Durant. It's all on the same team, right? So right now it's been a big dip. If you look at the market right now, it went down, you know, through these two months, it probably went down about 20, 25%, maybe more. In the history of the um, S&P, it has always recovered from any type of de decline has been. 100% always re recovered. Now, how soon does that usually happen, though? Uh, a year or two max. Max. So you're saying we, this, should be, we should be out of this by 2022? Yeah, oh, we definitely going to be out of it by 2022. Now, that's what um history says. Since the whole market has been going on. Yeah. 10 times out of 10, yeah. you're going to get your money back and make profit in a year or two. Yeah. And so, you know, just to... At like 200 some dollars, which follows the real one. You know, what 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 what's that two hundred something spy? A spy, yeah. Yeah, so it's I, basically a magic fund. And track, I'm um playing with spy right now. Well, it's actually uh it's on uh XPXL. Um, that's like the uh the bull, the three times bull um index for spy, and so yeah, that, that play is doing pretty decent. But I'm just amazed at how the markets are like even. So that's um, S&P 500. SPY is like a secondary to that. So it follows that. It's just ch cheaper. Right. So it's like 270 right now. Instead of the two, 2000, it's 278. Right, right. So but if we look at the all-time high for the S&P 500, that was 3380 on February 9th of this year. Um, it hit 3,380 points. So right now it's at roughly twenty eight hundred points, a little little bit below twenty seven eighty nine, to be exact. So that's the um, all all time high. All time high is thirty three eighty. So that S &P. tells you that if the all time high was when was this? This was two months ago, February 9th. So that means that it has never, you know, it's all. Yeah, and because we, we, I mean, we had to reach after the last recession a decade ago. You know, we were at what uh, eight hundred. This was we bottomed out at around eight hundred seventy points, or no, seven hundred seventy points, March first, two thousand nine. And you know, before that, what um, this is November first, two thousand seven. We peaked at around fifteen hundred points. So we're talking half of the market cap is gone. You know, a year and a half later. Yeah, a year and a half later, half uh, half of that market cap was gone from the peak and all time highs. And let's see, I'm looking to see when it rebounded fully. Back in twenty beginning of 2013 was when we reached 1,500 points again, and that was three and a half almost yeah three and a half years later. So it took a little bit more time the last recession for those gains to you know to be fully realized to for that recovery to finish um 
So it took about three and a half, three and a half years, and it took about a year and a half for it to finish crashing in the first place. Um, but the point Trey was making that if you're looking on a long-term basis, there hasn't been any 10-year period in the market where you lost, where you, you know, didn't profitable for you to invest in the stock market like this and these uh, huge indexes without walking away with a profit if you look at it on a five or ten years span, you know. So, right. Yeah, so on a five-year span, it's, it's very unlikely. It's still a chance you'll lose money. But on a ten-year span, it's literally impossible that you'll lose money. Um, and so, yeah, man, I pretty much... I'm in agreement with that that it shouldn't take any longer than 2022 at the latest for you know things to hit back at all-time highs, maybe even sooner, because I just feel like the way the markets are nowadays, things just move so much faster. And there's some you know stocks that's doing well right now, like um Apple and my um Amazon stock is doing well, of course, because first we're on Amazon, you know, you know um everybody's buying shit. Yeah. So that's all people can do is buy shit. <laughs> so that so that's that's thoughts I have right now is just just doing well right now. Apple so, Amazon, um, Walmart is doing good. Um I would assume I haven't checked, but I would assume Shopify is doing good. Any online platforms, Zoom, um, for online teleconferencing, you know, yeah, Zoom. um Slack, I think Slack went public. Slack should be doing good right now. Um anything that involves teleconferencing communications you know um like long distance communications and um tech shopping yeah anything like in that realm pretty much all of the stores that are still open <laughs> you know and still making money right now should be yeah. doing good you know if they're a publicly traded company um but anything that's not open or you know not doing too well right now because of this coronavirus stuff is pretty much doing terrible. Like airline stocks are doing terrible. I don't even know. I gotta put. I, I'm kind of mad I bought this put because it expires on like the 17th. I gotta put on um, American Airlines right now, and this shit keeps going up for some reason. It, it went. It was going down, but every yeah. time, every time they announce another fucking bailout, it's like it's yeah, it goes was, up. <laughs> you know? That's how gas was. Uh, and so, yeah. Now I'm like, just oh man, I'm I'm upside down on this play right now, and I'm kind of mad at myself for making it. But it's like that, man. Because these these airlines should have had money saved. With the market, a lot of people are buying. You said what? Yeah. I said a lot of people with the market, they're going to buy and sell off of e emotion. So you see, right now, a lot of people are trying to sell their stocks and get out. Yeah. You know? But do you? And there's see- some people. Oh, I'm sorry. What were you saying? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying, do you see any industries or any particular companies in, in particular not making it out of this, like going bankrupt and just, you know, closing shop permanently? Um. Yeah. Movie theaters. Movie theaters might not make make it out of this. Uh, any of them. Like all of them. Well, because they were on the de- decline anyway. Yeah. I mean, you know, most people want to stream. You know, they're staying inside. Right. Second, you know, you don't take a lady out on a date. You know, 
movie and a dinner, we not doing both. <laughs> you know, because you're going to eat before you're going to go to see a movie. Yeah. And, and we get the fire stick at home. Yeah, so, that fire stick clutch, man. Uh, $6 to get small drink at the move there. So, That's what really killing them. That's what's killing them right okay. there. Is more so than the movie prices. I feel like the fact that they overprice they, everything inside the movie theater because they know you want it. It's the convenience. Oh, okay, I'm going to charge you $8 for a large popcorn just because I can. You know, <laughs> like. And I, as you've seen, I, I don't know if you've seen, but a lot of them are trying to do like subscriptions where you pay a certain amount. A month, and you get like three, four movies a month. Movie Pass really changed really for them. Their pricing structure wasn't really might be profitable. a little too late. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, yeah, Movie Pass, even though they went bankrupt, they inspired the rest of the movie industry to start innovating on that end. And um, like AMC, which is like you know the biggest, we even started their own subscription service. But instead of making the same mistakes Movie Pass made and, and charging too too little, they're charging I want to say like twenty, thirty dollars a month. But it's crazy, but it's a nobody, you know. It's some people, right. there are some people out here that will look at that and be like, Oh man, that's a great deal because they go to the movies multiple times a week. There's some, there's just some people that like going to, um, so it's worth it for some people, but for most people, it's not really worth it. So, um, I hope that the airlines yeah. and, and the movie theaters, if they make it out of this, I know the airlines will, but you know, speaking, speaking to them and the movie theaters. And any other industries that was highly affected by this that pandemic, I, I hope that they really look in the mirror when this is all said and done and reevaluate their their business um, models because there shouldn't be any reason why these companies should be going bankrupt or you know um, or or threatening to fire all their employees after a couple weeks of no money. You should have more money saved up than that, you know. Um, and on top of and on top of that. I just feel like there's so much more room for growth on the efficiency side of things, um, whether it's, you know, like I said, the movie theaters charging too much or, you know, um, just airlines and, you know, um, what's the word, airports in general just not being as efficient and as user-friendly as they should be, charging all these unnecessary fees and check bag fees extra shit tsa pre-check this is just yeah get a flight right now for fifty dollars why can you charge us three dollars before this now what i will say is those prices have started going back up i think because i just checked flights to vegas and them shits is back to 100 and 200 dollars for the round trip and so it kind of kind of hurt my feelings because i thought i was gonna give me a little cheap flight to vegas book for you know this fall or something i'll book mine so you already booked a couple flights but my, I booked about four or five. God damn. When you book them for? I booked mine for July. It's my um, earliest one. Where? That's in Cali. So I can, but you know, I can just get, get my money back. Ah, oh, man. I'm I'm mad because, like, I really thought the flights was going to be cheaper, like, for a, a longer period of time. I, I, sat, I sat on it, you know? Nah, I think the more um, information that they know, they're going to boost, you know. Because yeah. they could know more, so they're going to. Now I feel like for them to be raising prices this early, that that has to be a good sign that this shit probably is not gonna last too long. What do you think, though? Hey. Right, we can get a handle. 
Now, with going back to partying and all this shit, right, mm-hmm. big and large, it would just come right back. If, if we don't have some type of vaccine, then it's just, you know, it's just there. Yeah, yeah. It's just, so I don't think, like, it, like, right now it's slowing down. Well, I don't know what the numbers say, but say it's slowing down right now because everybody's in the house. As soon as we get back, you know, and be in large, large groups again, it's just going to what? Yep. Magnify. So, yep. I'm not sure. Hopefully this shit is over with sooner than later. My birthday is May 22nd, and I would like to do something, so, you know. <laughs> It's not looking too good for me right now, though. Um, yeah, it ain't. So, all right, on to the next topic. This is something that I feel is uh, a divisive topic because the, regardless of who you talk to, I feel like this is something that everybody will give a different answer on. And it pretty much depends on personal preference, in my opinion, but you you may feel differently. Um, buy Buying a car. So should you buy or lease a car um, is the next topic. And... Like I said, I'll let you handle this one because I have my own opinion, but I feel like that's biased because of my personal situation. So I'll let you <laughs> explain. So I personally lease on my cars every okay. three years. You know, I do a three and three year span. Um, you know, I don't do it more than three years because if you know with any new type of car, the warranty is only pro- protected for three years. So I lease my three three year car. I make sure that my miles are straight. And then, you know, in three years, I'll get another car. That's how I'm rolling. So um, you can do one or two-year periods too, right? Yeah, but the prices are a little higher, so I wouldn't recommend that. Okay. But, yeah. So is, is it a lot higher or is it a little higher? Uh, it's a, a little higher. It's not a lot, a lot, but, you know. Okay. So for a leased car, I guess, you lease the car for three years like you said you do. You know, um, obviously, it's not the same as buying a car. So I guess, you know, for the people that don't understand the differences, could you explain the differences between leasing a car and buying a car? And also, while you're doing that, could you touch on the interest rate as well? What interest rate they charge for leasing a car for three years, if anything? So there's no um, interest rate. I don't get no interest in my car. What they do is they charge me the depreciation value of the car once the breeze is over. So they still take my credit score, of course, to make sure that I would be able to pay this back. But there's no amenities rate. What they're charging me is the value of how much the car will go down in the three-year span that I have the car. And so that's number that they already calculated and crunched those numbers. And so when you come back to the table and you actually agree to that three-year term, that's what you're going to pay nothing more. After that three years is over, you return the keys, return the car, and that's it. You don't have to. You don't owe anything else. It depends. Um, now, I have a package in my plan where um, it covers any scratches, any worn down tires, stuff like that, that I would not have to pay it back. Now, if you don't have that in the package, say you scrape your car or it needs a new new light or things like that, you will have to pay that back at, at the um, end of the lease. But doesn't your car insurance cover that anyway if you get into a you know, a little fender bender or something? Yeah. Most times, yeah. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you you still have to have full coverage when you're leasing a car, right? Yeah. 
and gap insurance. You got to have gap insurance. Right, right. All right. And so- um, anything like sometimes you get your um, oil change plan in into the term. So you don't have to pay for any oil changes. Say um anything goes wrong, um, engine tran- transmission, now, you bring the- it back. But I was going to say was, but the old thing, you know, I guess that all depends on how much extra they're charging for that. Because, you know, you're paying nowadays with these new cars and synthetic oil changes, you're paying $50, $60 per oil change. And you get an oil change every three months, let's just say, on, on average. So, you know, that's a good $200 or more a year you're spending just on oil changes. Now, how much extra is that when they add well, it to the, you know? So I didn't get the oil change patch because it will cost cost me more. Mm-hmm. But with the like I said, I'm doing like fifteen thousand miles a year, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, I get an oil change every five months, every five thousand miles. So basically, if I get three oil changes, which would be my fifteen, you know, that's every five thousand miles. That's three times. Say my oil change is forty five dollars. So that's three times forty-five. That's it. That's all that I'm paying. And 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 my first two was free. So wait, you said you paid fifteen per oil change? No, I paid forty. It's like forty-five, fifty dollars. Okay, so you were saying that you would end up paying like forty-five, fifty after it's all said and done, right? No, per 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 oil oil change. I oh. probably get three here. Okay, I see what you're saying. And my first two was free. Yeah. Okay. And not to mention, they're going to give you like pro promos or so 5% off, 10, $10 off, things like that. You're definitely going to get that. Right, right. So, yeah, I'm looking at this chart right now, and it's just going through the difference between getting a car loan and a lease. And one thing I did notice is the cash due at signing. Um, this example has you putting down $2,000 at signing for a three-year lease. Is that something that you had to do or was no. it? Um, I didn't have to do that. Um, you know, um, I didn't put no money down. I actually didn't pay to like, I got like the first month because you know, with the back end. So I didn't pay my first payment until my second month in. So in what situations would they ask for cash due at signing if you have like a lower credit score or something? Uh, no, I believe not with that, but I believe it depends on how you want your payment. If you want a lower pay payment, then you can put some money down okay. on the car to, to lower your payment, which I don't recommend because if you put $3,000 down on a leased car and you wreck it the next week, you don't get that money back. Right. Yeah. So I don't re- recommend that. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, the way I think about it is like, if I got twenty thousand dollars in my hand, right, mm-hmm. I can buy a car, right? You buy a car, you don't have a car payment for whenever, right? Or you could lease it out, right? Pay four hundred dollars a month, and then use that nineteen six to um invest in something else, right? And say that car, you know. Say, you know, you already put $20,000 in the car, but if you invest that nineteen six, then you would have more money than you would in five, six years. 
Right, because that money is going to be appreciated and it's going to be growing. And um, now, um, yeah. all cars is not this. You know, a car is not a investment. As soon as you walk it out a lot, you know, it's it's, it's depreciated. They used to say half of its value is gone, but it's more like twenty, thirty percent at least is gone as soon as you. Uh, you know. It's a now, and think about this: most people are getting five, six year terms. Yeah. Like and they even seven, eight year terms now. Yeah, which is crazy. You shouldn't if you can't buy a car more than five years. This a red alert. If you shouldn't, if you, if you buy a car, and you and you can't pay it off in more than five years, then you don't need that car. That's first off. Yeah. But, but second, if you're getting a five year plan, to be honest, most people get a car for three, four years anyway, and they trade it in. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know people who. You know, especially once they start getting money, they're not keeping a car for more than five years. See, me, I love my car. I feel like I'm an outlier. I, I got a 2016 Honda Civic. I got it when it first came out. So as soon as they switched the generation and the body style, this the fourth. But I, so this, I still love my car. This the fourth year in. You still got time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I don't see myself not wanting my car even in the next five years. Like, but I've see. had it. A lot of people get car car changes. You know, we got kids. You get married, things like that. Yeah, you're going to, you know, do that. But when you trade, say you buying a car for five years, of course you're paying all the um, um interest, right? Um, in three years, something's going to go wrong with the car, right? Mm-hmm. That's why it's always up to a three year warranty on everything and then um, after three years is when the wear and tear just happens on the car so you're going to be paying you know a couple hundred dollars maybe more a year just on the maintenance of the car yeah, now it depends yeah i mean with a honda hondas are good cars so you're talking you know and it's just pretty cheap to fix them up you know but if you got a Lexus, you got a Benz, you know, things like that. It's over and, for you. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's over for you, bro. Over. Oh, right. my God. You're just going to want to sell the car. Yeah. And then you're going to get yourself in a revolving cycle of debt because as soon as you turn that car in, trade it in for another newer Mercedes, it's like you're upside down and that negative equities is going to get rolled over into the new loan. And also depends on how much you drive. You know, you know, if you drive into Charlotte and Raleigh every damn week, then that's probably a bad choice. But if you don't drive like that, then you would be fine. Yeah. And um, also, a lease will make your payment lower too. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, I mean, I I knew that, but I I think that the reason why I was always like apprehensive against the leases as opposed to a loan was because like okay yeah my payment might be a hundred or 150 dollars lower a month but i'm not gonna have any equity in anything after i finish paying off this car in a few years well, no, i no, have something that's going to go go down in value anyway do right it. i know investment if you're just looking at it straight from investment side of things but i looked at my car payment right. as more of a I need to trans. I need transportation. I need somewhere to some way to get around, and I don't want to have to keep paying on this. After a certain point, I want to be done with it. And so, if you're leasing a car, you're okay. always going to be making a car payment, you know. Whereas, right. if it's, you, it's it's like a light it's like a light bill to me. 
Right, right. It's like a utility at that point. So me, I want to pay all of my. I want to pay this utility off in a few years. You know, I will after you know the four or five years or whatever. I want to be able to say, hey, I get to keep my three hundred dollars in my pocket every month, and I still got my car. You know, and because I don't like I said, I don't see myself get ever getting rid of this car. I see myself keeping this car until I got you know kids in high school and pass it down to one of them. You know, um, they. <laughs> First of all, they not gonna want that car. Oh man, they gonna have to take that car. Ain't gonna be, <laughs> ain't gonna be no, ain't gonna be no options. They not gonna want that car. The only way they not gonna take that car is if the government came out and say, "Hey, you can't drive your own cars by this point," because all the cars driving themselves. They do not. Know, and then, I, then I'm gonna have to sell it because it's. The, I ain't got no autonomous. It's not no autonomous car. You know, so you gotta drive it. But <laughs> yeah, 20 years from now, kids ain't gonna know how to drive. They ain't gonna be no drivers there. They're just gonna hop in the car and the shit gonna go. Which is scary, by the way. Yeah, it's very scary because if if the technology is like that for everybody to just ride around without actually knowing how to drive, just just imagine how crazy shit's gonna look the first time is a major traffic pile up because software and glitched and cars just started. It goes down with the Teslas. Yes, what I'm saying. But imagine when all of the cars are on that shit, like. And not only that, but the government, you know, the government already can tap our phones and all that shit and, you know, see all our bank accounts and all that. Imagine what they'll be able to see when all the cars are driving and talking to themselves. But that's just my conspiracy theories coming out. So don't pay me no money. <laughs> and for a leash, don't pay taxes and things like that. Like they just gave you my tax and things like that. I didn't have to, you know, do nothing on that too. Okay. I do got to pay my property taxes. So you still got to pay the yearly taxes on a, on a Yeah, leash. but you can, you know, of course I'm writing them off. You can still write them. Oh, okay. Now, um, also, if you have your own um, LLC or something like that, you can write off your monthly payment in, on your lease on onto your taxes. So now that's that's a good tip, right? That's a money tip, right? Off, the monthly pay, payments, things like that. For all my <laughs> finessers and tax avoiders, you hear that? You can write it off. Write, that, write that lease payment off. Your payment, you can write it off. And the property tax, of course, which, which you can write off anyway. Now, this is another big question. The next one is uh, pretty similar to the last, but it's a bit more bigger of a purchase. Um, now, should the big purchase that you ever make? Should you buy a home? Especially, everything is recession related this episode because, like I said, it's the time we're living in. This is uh, April 9th, twenty twenty. We just started the the Great Recession. The, the great coronavirus recession of 2020. So, you know, we're trying to make sure we are relevant to the current times here. Now, should you buy a home, especially in this recession? That's my question to you. I think it depends on your goal. It depends on your location. Because this location we're in right now is it's a, high, is a high investment. It's been appreciating crazily over the last Two, two fifty. You said what? Yeah. I said it's going for two fifty and higher. Yeah, I mean, like, even a town, even townhouses nowadays, for you know, three bedroom, two two and a half bath townhouse, you still paying two, you know, two hundred, two twenty, depending on what area you you in, you know, which is like I said, yeah. crazy in other areas. But that's that's the price of um, living in a you know a, a hot spot, you know, like like this area, yeah. and um. From my experience, from what I've been seeing, even though 
you know, people are starting to fall behind on rent and whatnot. Um, combined with the government's programs they're putting together, you know, the mortgage um, deferences and all of that, able to stop charging late fees for the rent and stop taking people to court for the rent. Regardless of all of that, I still feel like this is a good time to buy a home. I don't know if it's a good time to sell a home anywhere because you're just not going to get the best return on your you know your buck right now with everyone going through these uh economic hardships but i still feel like it's a good time it's a, it's a good time to buy a home because you may be able to negotiate better rate you know you may be able to negotiate some concessions during the closing process because you know everyone's struggling right now right so you know the sellers yeah, should, should I mean, be more understanding um and yeah, the interest rates are falling across the board yeah so we're looking at this as a house not being uh, investment. Then if that's the case, yeah, of course, you, sh- you should buy a home now. I mean, the rates are going lower, lower and lower. Um, some dropping up to 2%. You see the reds has dropped their rates to like 0.5, maybe zero now. But, um, you know, the rates as low as possible, that's when you should buy. You know, don't buy a home if your rate is 6%, 5%, 5 when it's out the roof. So well, five percent actually historically is a good rate, you know. It's just yeah. right right now in this particular market, it's like oh, I get three percent, I get two percent, you know. But historically, you know, if we're talking ten, twenty, thirty years ago, you know, there were some people with ten, fifteen percent rate. My uncle said he bought a his house at a twelve percent interest rate back in the nineties, you know, and that was just a um, a manufactured home. It's like a double wide trailer, you know. Um, <laughs> I think the question is, you know, when should I buy my home? Because there's some people who have no money in the bank. They don't got the money to put put down, you know. But see, that's where things like FHA loans come into handy. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but, you know, you get a FHA, Federal Housing Administration loan, you know, you can get a, a property with 0% down. Um, your interest rate is going to be a bit lower on the back end. I mean, a bit higher on the back end because that's part of the program you get zero percent down and they'll finance the whole thing 100 percent just with a little bit higher interest rate um but i feel like even those are a good good option depending on you know what your situation is or what, what you're looking at do you think a fixed fixed or a variable rate i got it. i think that a fixed rate loan is always better for the long term you know if you're oh. looking for the 20 30 year period of the loan you don't want to have to refinance. You don't want to have to refinance every few years. Yeah, you definitely go to the fixed rate route. But let's say you can't get approved for a fixed rate or you're comparing apples to apples and the variable rate loan will actually be a bit cheaper than the fixed rate loan up front because the interest rate is a bit lower due to the you know the environment we're in with the market. Well, right. it may make sense to get a variable rate loan up front and then switch over refinance to a fixed rate loan after that five-year period or whatever you know um it all depends on like i said your situation the budget the cost of what you're trying to buy and the interest rates or whatever institution you're getting the loan from because i know for example i was recently at the credit union state your your job state employees talking to a loan officer about something like that and they were saying that uh the variable rate was really the best thing that they could offer me at the time but they were also saying that if I went to Coastal, the guy was like, hey, don't say nothing. But if you go to Coastal, they got a you know a better 30-year program 
with. I'm gonna say don't say that because we don't get paid off commission anyway. Right, but you know, I guess he just felt bad about recommending a competitor. So I all the time, but go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, you're a real one though. Everybody ain't real, cute, Trey. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, he was just saying that pretty much Coastal has the best 30-year fixed rate, you know, um, 100% finance program out, you know, when yeah, it comes to buying a house, at least in this area, this state. Now, this is what I'll say about a variable fixed rate. I think, especially in this days and time, with the culture that we're in and us, I think 90% of the time, a uh, variable rate is your guy. Now, Why do you say that? So back in the day, you know, my grandma, she lived in this house in 1990. You know, that's 20, 30 years. You know, the culture is moving to where we don't want to be in the same house for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah, I, honestly, time, my first property. first house is not going to be our final home. One, because we're going to be making money, more money 10, 20 years from now. Yeah. So usually what we do, we buy, go ahead and get a house to be homeowners and you know we get a small house a two-bedroom whatever then when you get kids have a family you have to rent you you have to you know get another house right of course you can choose to rent out or whatever but if you know you're not going to be in that house for more than 10 years why not get the available rate which is going to be lower and you already know when you get any type of mortgage, your first couple of years, you're paying the most of them interest. So that means you got a $900 mortgage payment. 600 of that, probably more, is going to um, is going to the bank. That's straight out the back. Mm-hmm. That's straight out the back. So you're only getting 200 on on the principal with a 30-year mortgage, with any type of mortgage. So you might as well get the lowest rate, right, to, to have more down on on principle right because thing with a mortgage is you pay up your you know you pay down the mortgage you pay down the principal and in due time your um, equity grows that gives you that that gap you know it gives you that gap so when you sell it you know you can make a profit you see what i'm saying right right so if we know we're not going to be in the house for more than a certain period of time why get the 30-year fix pay all that money in interest and then when it's time to sell it, you see the value of the house is two hundred thousand, right? Mm-hmm. Which is okay. I got twenty thousand dollars more in value than what I had five five years ago, but you only paid five to ten thousand down on the on the principal because of the five percent rate, because of the six percent rate. You see what I'm saying? So I always would say variable rate. But how are you paying more towards the principal with the variable rate though? But because your um, interest rate is lower, so more goes to principal every month. Oh, I see so with a variable rate, if you like three point, like right now our variable rate is three point three. Mm-hmm. Our twenty year fixed rate is like four point two five. One percent doesn't seem like a difference, but when you talking about hundred thousand dollars, what's one percent of hundred thousand dollars? That's a thousand dollars. All right, so that shit adds adds up every month. So that's why that one percent caught cost you a lot on the back end. Hmm. Now, people are scared of, you know, the variable rate in five years. It's going to change. 
Right. And that was my concern when I was looking at variable rates. I'm like, okay, what would the interest rate be in five years? No one really knows, you know? Right, right. Nobody knows. But let's just say, for so the people who bought out, uh, did a five-year in 2015, they're looking very smart right now. Yeah. So they ain't got to pay nothing. They're really about to drop, right? right. But say it's the um, opposite. Okay, say in 2025, the market is booming. And you know it's about to be a 1.5 percent jump. You just refi it. Easy. So you can still okay. I get what you're saying. So if you if you see if you anticipate that your rates about to jump up because you have a variable rate, um, then you can actually and, switch to a, fi a fixed rate and lower your uh, your uh, actual payment still. And you don't have to guess. They're gonna send you a, a rate sheet six months before it's time, telling you. This will be your rate. Hmm. If you don't like it, refinance now. Bam. And that's the same. Isn't it the same as vice versa? If you have a fixed rate mortgage, can't you yeah. refinance that to a variable yeah. rate if it's oh, a good yeah, time? Of but the fixed rate, you will already be paying the highest rate at, at that point. You know, right. you will always be having the highest, highest rate. But what I'm saying is you, when it yeah, comes time to refinance after a few years, you know, you can still get a better interest rate with another fixed rate. Or go to a a variable rate if it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that does. Yeah, yeah, I see. What you, yeah, you you can do do that too. Yeah. So um, just wanted to let the people know that it's it's options either way you go. Um, if regardless of whether you do a fixed rate or a variable rate. Now it's gonna be fees with that, but you know. Isn't it fees, it's, it's fees with both, right? For refinancing. Fees with both. Yeah, you got to pay closing costs again, but it's just it's not gonna be anywhere near. The closing costs that you you know you pay when you, you initially get the property though. Now I'm glad you said about the closing costs. Say you get a variable rate, right? Mm. And you pay it for five years, and you want to go ahead and refinance that to a fix. Because you got the five year rate, and you got the lowest rate, which you paid more down for principal. When they in five years, when they ask you what's the value of your home. Right, mm -hmm. which is going to be more, and you've been paying the principal down, so you have more um, equity than what than what you would have had with a fixed rate. You can actually put the closing costs to the back of the loan. Mm. So say you have twenty thousand dollars in, uh, in um, equity, right, and the closing cost is fifteen hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. You ain't got to pay that up up front. You can actually refinance refinance that money into the mortgage that you're about to get because you had that rate. You had that that low rate for five years and you build up equity now wouldn't that cause as opposed to you just you know paying that closing um cost up front wouldn't you tacking that on to the to the new loan cause you to end up paying more than that 1500 in that closing fee uh for that closing fee over time because it's part of the loan so it's it's, it's got interest associated with it now if you're get if you're refinanced to a lower rate you'll make it up in the back burner because if your rate is 5.0 and you want to refi to a 3.0, yeah, right, you're going to make that money up in the background. You're still going to pay less when you refinance it than if you would didn't do anything and just kept paying that 5% rate. So short term, yes. Long term, you won't. You will save money. But it's still, if you, if you want to pay the least period, I'm just talking, you know, principal and interest for that loan, right? If you want to pay the lowest amount for that mortgage loan, period, 
it's best was, to just pay that 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 closing cost out of pocket that fifteen hundred and let them refinance the rest, right? Well, it depends on the rate, bro. Because if you refinance to a lower rate, then like I said, you're going to pay you're going to pay less in the long run. Right. I'm just looking at the, you know, because I know you just said that thousand dollar difference. You know, if you're adding yeah, yeah. extra thousand dollars on, if that that multiplies over the long run but because well, of the I interest. With the same rate though, we're talking about the same rate. I see what you're saying. So if you refinance to a lower rate, then it's going to be worth putting the fifteen hundred in the back burner. Okay. Makes and sense. when I say it's going to pay off in the long run, I don't mean ten years from now. I mean a good two, three years. You'll get your money back. Oh. It's not like it's a your plan. Okay, cool. Yeah, I already did the numbers for somebody, so I know like a good two, three years, your actually pay, pay payment will go way lower. Actually, the payment if you do like if you got a four point five and your new rate is like three point three, it'll be a couple hundred dollars that that you're saving. So it could be in a year and a half you will get your money back, just like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, um, last topic before we get off tonight is life insurance. Um, that's something I also I'm very well versed in. Whole or term life insurance. I just want to get your opinion on that and get an idea of how you feel about buying life insurance. Because I know a lot of people have life insurance through their jobs or um, you know, through their benefits plan. But most people, at least most people I know, don't go outside and find additional right. insurance to, to build, you know, to build that up with. They just rely on the insurance that their job is giving them or that they pay for it through their job. So kind of explain to the people why you recommend buying life insurance and why you recommend getting insurance in the, on the marketplace that's not associated with your job. Um, it's plain and simple. Um, we are born here. We all got to die. We all got to die. Why not benefit of your family member's death? You know what's going to happen Sounds soon. Bad, it, may not happen. <laughs> <laughs> it may not happen when you're 25. It may happen when you're 45. But you're going to die. Right. So um, a lot of people got life insurance through their job. And that's all they got. But what they don't realize is when you decide to leave your job or quit, you don't have any life insurance anymore. So that's dead, right? So I recommend, um, um, you know, um, um, anybody who's out there, get your own life insurance, your personal life insurance. Now, home and term, I think it depends on your um, age. Really do, right? So um, I think, you know, if you're 30 and younger, right, if you're 30 and younger, look at the whole life. Because when you're that young, say you that 30 to 20 year, years old range, right? Mm-hmm. You get life insurance. Your life insurance will be literally $30 a month, $45 a month. Yep. You get 50 k And I can vouch for it. I used to sell life insurance, so I can vouch for that. Yes. I just got me another plan. But yeah, you get $45, $50, bam, bam. Right? Actually, I would recommend too. I would recommend a term and a whole. But yeah, I got a mix. Of, I got a mix of the two right now. I, I had term, and I converted some of it to whole, and that's what I'm gonna keep doing over the course of years: is converting piece of that term to whole and adding additional whole life. Now, say you're 45 years old, right? Mm-hmm. You got you got a uh, 20 years left on your mortgage, 
you have no life insurance. You trying to get a whole life, they're gonna charge two hundred dollars a month. Well, right? <laughs> they charge so, more than that. What's, what, how big of the policy are you talking? Because two hundred dollars a month is actually cheap at forty five for a whole life. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right, I'm glad you know that. Good. So you know, you might get a fifty thousand dollar policy for that much money at age forty five, whereas for that same two hundred dollars, if you get that at age twenty five, you'll be you know you'll have like two hundred or two hundred fifty or even three hundred thousand dollars. Great. Know? So this is what we're going to do. If you're 45, you're 40 years old, you're going to get a term. 20-year fix, 30-year, whatever you want. But that's to cover the mortgage. So you can get a $500,000 life, life insurance, a 30-year term, for about $45, $50 too. Yeah. Right? So even though it, it expires, if something happened to you in that 30 years, your 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 wife, your child, they'll get that money, you know, because you don't want to leave your loved ones with bills and shit. Yep. So they'll be able to pay the mortgage off, you know, things like that. I think not having life insurance is like a selfish act. So when you pass, your spouse will be able to, you know, pay the house off and take care of the children, especially if you're the only breadwinner. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Right. Now, what I recommend to is um, with whole life, go ahead and get your child. I'm talking about saving money for your children. You can go ahead and get your child a whole life policy too when they're young. Oh man, I'm talking about as soon as they come out the womb. Like, <laughs> there's it's, it's $50 a month. And that price is locked in for the life of the policy. And guess what? For the life of the policy, $10 a month. And then Great thing is, all my life insurance with New York Life, mm-hmm. they give out six percent dividends, yep. which is un- unheard. Yep, I'm with Northwestern Mutual. They do something similar. Um, oh yeah, they, they should do. And we can get, we can get, you know, we can pull from the actual cash value of the yep. whole life insurance policy once the the policy builds up to a certain point. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. You can actually start you, borrowing money from that policy, borrowing money from yourself, pretty much, and you can use that money for anything, pretty much. You know, you, you don't have to say, "Hey, I need this money for X, Y, Z." You can just call up your, you know, your your insurance company and tell them you need to borrow against that policy. And tax no, got my dividends. I ain't got to borrow. It. I don't have to. You know, there's what, no taxes involved. What was that? I'm sorry, you had one out for a second. What was that? So with the dividends, you saying borrow, like I can actually just take the dividends out and use it for, for what I want. Oh, yeah, free. yeah. But my my dividends are reinvested back into the policy. So I got mine set right, right. to reinvest back into the policy. Oh, automatically. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah. So anything that I withdraw from, the, like they don't send me a check for my dividends, which I could switch it to. But I figured it'll build the, the value of the policy more quicker of over course. time if I just reinvest the dividends. Of course. So. And we're forgetting one thing. It's tax free. Yeah. Right. It is right. tax. tax uh, America tax everything. They want tax on this. Thank God. Yeah. So for people that are looking for ways to um, reduce that taxable income, let's say you know you need a couple grand to knock yourself down to the to the next tax bracket. Well, might want to consider buying some whole life insurance ASAP and throwing money into that as much money as you possibly can. 
So yeah, that's that it, way, yeah. um, that way you can you can you know rest assured knowing that your taxable income is at its lowest amount possible. Now another thing you want to keep in mind with the whole life insurance policies. It takes typically over a decade, between 12 and 15 years, to build up a decent cash value. So yeah. don't expect to just start building cash value from day one and be like, oh, six months from now, I want to take out a, a you know a withdrawal or a borrow against my policy. It doesn't work like that. You, it, the okay. cash value accumulates more and more over time. So the longer you keep that money sitting in there, uh, you know, you allow it to cook, as my advisors used to say. The, the longer you allow that, that the, the better your return will be or your cash value will be in the long run. Is there anything else that yeah. you wanted to touch on about whole life or term or just life insurance in general? Um, dividends, whole life, get it when you're young. Oh, now I have seen a group of people do this. Say they got, you know, they got a grandma. Or they got a great grandma, mm-hmm. and she's sixty. She's sixty-five. Say, the grandma got six six kids. I have seen this done. They all five and six. Put a group, put a life insurance on her. Say a twenty-year term. Mm-hmm. And it's high as hell. So they both say all five of them probably paying like seventy-five dollars a month. After they grow up, is what you're saying? Yeah, like like. Like the grandma's grown, she's like sixty years old. Right, but she I'm saying she, she she's buying a twenty year term policy on herself, right? No, the the kids are buying it for her. Oh, so the okay. kids are paying. So they split the monthly payment up. So right. save five dollars a kid, right? Because mm-hmm. like I said, we all got to die. So why not capitalize? Life is- they gonna get her on a twenty thirty year term, right? Wow. But they're all gonna split the cost. Mm-hmm. So, what's the odds of her being in love until she's 90 years old? Not very likely, I would say. But right. It's a possibility. Gonna do it. They're all going to split up the cost, say $75 a month, and they're going to, as the beneficiaries, they're all going to split it five ways. But, now, is that a problem? Do you see anything wrong with this? Or do you think this is a good idea? I think that's a great idea. I mean, if you're not in your feelings trying to, you know, talk about death and stuff but yeah. I think that's a great thing. especially yeah. if you're spending equally everybody's yeah. paying dollars a month bam that's 10 racks right there you'll get now just something to keep in mind here everyone's not eligible for life insurance at that particular stage in life because some people have pre-existing conditions some like right. some it's depending on what company you go to especially the better yeah. companies with the better prices and the better coverage they're only able to offer that level of quality because they're very, very selective when it comes to mm-hmm. who, who they bring on as uh, clients. So, you know, certain companies like the Northwestern Mutuals or the New York Lifes, they might deny someone on the basis of them being overweight or them having diabetes or high blood pressure or anything that is a, can be considered a pre-existing condition when it comes to that stage in life. Um, I've seen people but denied for all types of reasons. Like I said, for like I said, diabetes, um, heart heart conditions, heart disease, um, you know, the, the heart attacks in the past, cancer in the smoke, past. You smoke, they're gonna boost that up too. Oh man, yeah. If you're a smoker, you're paying three, four times more a month. Um, now, yeah. with state um employees, 
we don't get a doctor's back background check. So they just give you the policy. They give everybody the same rate. They give everybody the policy the same rate. Think once you pass like fifty seven, you can't get a policy anymore. What what age? Thirty seven. And they're gonna ask you smoking or not. They're gonna ask you if you smoking stuff or not. What, too. what age did you say? Thirty seven. I think it's fifty seven. Fifty seven. Fifty seven. Now because they don't discriminate, you know, based on health or anything. Have you found that your rates, y'all rates are typically higher because they gotta account for, so, you know, less health. That's a great. So I got my little nephew a policy like last week. They he's um, eight years old. They they quoted him for twenty dollars a month for fifty k. Mm-hmm. New Year Life said thirty one dollars for for fifty k. So state employees lower. Thirty one dollars yeah. for fifty k. Oh, yeah. this is whole life insurance though. This is not term, right? This whole. This, this, this whole. Yeah, this whole. I'm thinking term. Like that's that's crazy. That's expensive. But yeah, if it's whole life, yeah. that makes sense. Um, but I went with New York because dividends. they don't offer dividends. Yeah, yeah. Right. State and employees. Thinking, and they don't offer no dividends, nothing. State employees, so that 50K will be 50K. Regardless. It doesn't go up over time. It don't go up. I would cut it. You know, you can pull it out, but there's no dividends or nothing. But you still got to build up that cash, that, that, that cash yeah. base before Thanks, you. Thanks, 15. You said what? It takes 15 years? And they don't offer dividends or nothing, but they don't offer, they don't require like a background check of your health. Or yeah. Okay. But I did the New York Life because it offers dividends. And when he give it to him, yeah. you know what I mean? He's going to have dividends out the ass, especially when he get 35, you know, 40 years old. Now, so that's why I hire. Now, if you have to be a member of the credit union to be able to get that policy through them, though, right? Yes. And your beneficiaries. All I got be, not, not your beneficiaries. Just your, you have to get a membership, yeah, to okay. get a policy. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that Mother, pr- father, pretty much answers all of the questions. Oh, yeah, one more thing I wanted to touch on, too. If you're going through Northwestern Mutual to get life insurance, you know, um, Shout your boy out if you're going to do that. But we offer, or I said we, because like I'm still working there. But, um, well, I guess I can say we because I got a policy with them. But Northwestern offers term 80 policies, too. They're like the only company I know of or the only company on their level that offers term 80 policies, which is a term life insurance policy, just like any other term life insurance policy. But it doesn't expire until it goes up over time as your age goes up. So it starts off really cheap. And then it gets more expensive as you get older. But the general rule of thumb is we recommend, like you said, anybody in their early 30s or younger get the term policy. And then as they get older, start converting pieces of that to whole life. So you can convert 50K chunks at a time at a minimum. So if you got like a $500,000 policy, um, you can convert 50K over time, you know, 50K and then 50K a couple years from now, 50K a couple years from now until you convert the whole 500. And then by the time you hit your 50s, you know, you don't have any term insurance left. It's all whole life insurance. And so you locked it in at that rate at a young age. So you're not going to be paying as much as you would have been paying if you would have got a $500,000 policy, whole life policy at age 55 
as opposed to locking it in at a young age and converting it over over time. How much do they charge you to con convert it? It's free. That that's free. It's the convertibility part. Yeah. What what cost what makes up the cost difference is the fact that you're converting piece of that term to the whole life because whole life insurance just costs more in general, you know. So that's what you're paying so you're, for. That's paying more per month. Right. So like. To- so, so let's say you're paying twenty five dollars a month for a hundred thousand dollar term policy, term eighty policy. Well, you convert fifty k of that to whole life. That twenty five dollars a month might go up to sixty or seventy five dollars a month because you're paying now. You're paying, you know, twenty dollars or fifteen dollars because it, it it decreases the amount for the term policy because you just converted half of right. it. So now let's say you're paying fifteen dollars for the term part, but you're paying forty or fifty dollars for the whole life part now, five dollars a month. That makes sense. You can get out dividends. I know you got to wait a certain point time. Does that reset or does that turn? You can still get the same. What do you mean? So, you know, like for the cash out for dividends, of course, you got to let it sit in the pot for 10 years. Right. Does it reset once you convert it or you can. So you don't get get any dividends. You don't get the dividends with the term life. That's just for whole life. That starts, you start accruing those dividends as soon as that whole life part is converted. Got you. And your plan is to convert your whole term until? Whole life, yeah. I got a 500,000 term policy. I'm converting part of it, you know, to whole life over time. And um, so, yeah, I've already converted a nice chunk of it. And I'm part of it until I'm like 29, 30 to be realistic. So, yeah. Gotcha. Yep, but okay. um, anything else before we come to a conclusion and wrap this up? Is there anything else in particular you wanted to touch on, whether it was this or anything else we talked about tonight? I think we pretty much got it. Do it another time. You know, more topics, more things like that. Word, Make word. you think. Man, I really appreciate you joining me tonight, bro. I feel like we, we touched on it. I didn't even feel like we, we've been on for like over an hour and a half at this point. Pretty much, but it doesn't even feel like that that long because it's good conversations, man. We've been dropping a lot of knowledge. Yeah. But um, but yeah, man. You know, you're welcome back anytime, bro. Like I said, I really enjoyed this episode. I feel like we gotta switch it up every now and then, man. You know, normally we're talking pop culture, we're talking sports, entertainment, world news, but you know, um, I like to switch it up every now and then and really, you know just drop knowledge on the people you know because it's crazy times we're living in and if we could just balance that out with you know some some uplifting stuff some some truly life-changing information every now and then i feel like um i'm really doing everything i need to do you know yes sir it's just true real shit but um until next time people like i said before i appreciate all of the viewers that have uh joined in tonight and Made sure that they they drop they got some of this knowledge we drop. Um, make sure you follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, all of my social media is at the bottom on that bottom bar. So you know YouTube, especially on Facebook or Twitch or any of my other social media is all, is usually on YouTube as well. That's where I like to keep pretty much all of my content. So if you like what you see, make sure you subscribe on YouTube. And um, until next time, I see you guys next week for the next episode.